Hello and welcome to the Holiday in Edinburgh. I'm Susan Spence. Thank you for downloading the Edinburgh City Guide podcast. Before we start to explore Edinburgh, let me tell you how you can receive up to 35% off your next weekend stay here or at any of our other Holiday Inn hotels. All you have to do is visit our website ihg.com forward slash podcast. That's ihg.com forward slash podcast for all the details. Scotland's capital is all you'd imagine it to be. Captivating, striking, historic, cosmopolitan. Well, you get the message. Edinburgh Castle dominates the city centre skyline and its presence is felt all around. Sat atop an ancient volcano, it looks down on cobbled streets and elegant sweeping terraces that hold over a thousand years of history. But this is also a vibrant modern city where international festivals attract the world's leading performers, galleries display cutting-edge art, and bars, restaurants and clubs create a lively atmosphere with their own unique Scottish flavour. Edinburgh, said the Scots author Robert Louis Stevenson, is what Paris ought to be. While I'm staying at the Holiday Inn Christophen, I'm with Sarah Williamson, who's the front office manager here at the hotel. Sarah, it's probably best to begin with for you to tell us where we are in terms of location. We're west of the city centre, it's just 10 minutes drive. Very good bus links into both the city centre and the airport bus brings you straight to the door. And the airport's only four miles from us. Haymarket train station, it's just two miles away from us. We're very close to the motorways. And if you are coming by car, uh, we've got car parking on site. Now, one of the benefits of staying here at the hotel is the fact that you're right next door to Edinburgh Zoo. Absolutely. Uh, the zoo's one of Edinburgh's main attractions. Uh, residents that are staying in the hotel, they can get discounts if they want to visit. And we've also got Murrayfield Stadium, just five minutes' walk from us. That's the home of Scottish rugby and, of course, has also hosted many rock and pop concerts. I'd imagine then that being right next to Edinburgh Zoo, you're quite a family-orientated hotel. Yes, we are. We've got family rooms in the hotel, which typically have sofa beds in there for the kids. And, of course, those with older kids can get into connecting bedrooms as well. And for family dining, we've got a children's menu and children under 12 feet free of charge. Kids, of course, love coming to the swimming pool. That's a big bonus for them. That's in Spirit Health Club. It also, of course, caters for the adults. There's a gym, spa and sauna, and there's a beauty room for those that like a bit pampering. Now, you and I are sat in the bar area, which is a pleasant place to come and have a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, or perhaps a bar snack. And also, this morning, I had breakfast in the Trader's Restaurant. That's a wonderful view of the Pentland Hills that awaits anybody who's going to sit and dine with you. Yes, lots of our guests do love that view. Uh, the restaurant itself is our a la carte restaurant serving breakfast, lunch and dinner. We've also got Sampan's restaurant which serves Thai, Malaysian and Chinese food which is perfect if you want to try something a bit different. And of course our public areas are fully accessible and it's worth noting that we've got accessible bedrooms and designated car parking spaces for those who might need them. Well Sarah, thanks very much for telling me all about the hotel. Uh, before I go, can I just ask you, what would be the one thing that you would say to a visitor coming to Edinburgh that they shouldn't miss? Absolutely, the city centre tour buses. You can pick them up outside Waverley train station, go for a journey around Edinburgh, see what there is to see, um, and then you can get on and off the buses for the rest of the day. Well, I've made my way into Edinburgh city centre. It's very easy from the holiday, and there are many, many buses that drive right past the front door, taking you into the city centre. Now, we've decided today to start our tour right at the other end of the Royal Mile. We're going to start it at the Palace of Holyrood House. Visit Scotland have kindly provided me with a guide for the day who's going to be showing me around all the different sites that the capital city has to offer. And she is Morag Dunbar. Morag, 
thank you very much for showing me around. First of all, in order for us to get our bearings, perhaps you could just give us a brief history of Edinburgh. Well, the history of Edinburgh goes way, way back, but probably the part that's most significant is when King Malcolm III of Scotland and his wife Margaret, an English princess, moved over here in the late ten hundreds and established a settlement on the rock which is now the location of Edinburgh Castle. Gradually a city grew from the castle down the sloping ridge to where we are now sitting at Holyrood Palace. As the city grew um, the buildings were tall because buildings were difficult to locate on that particular part of the city. Eventually by the 15th century we see Edinburgh recognised as the capital city of Scotland which it remains today and by the 18th century we see an old town that has become very very congested and it was at that point that the town council decided to hold a competition for a design for a new town of Edinburgh to be built to the north of the old town. Now there's obviously so much to see and do here in Edinburgh. We've only got a limited time, which is why we've decided to cover the whole of the Royal Mile. Standing here then at the gates of the Palace of Holyrood House, I have to say, Morag, for me, this building is so typically Scottish. Tell us the story behind it. Well, before we go to the building itself, we have to look at the old ruined abbey, which you can see just to the left of the palace, because that was built way back in 1128. From the abbey, there was a guest house, and that was where occasionally the kings and queens of Scotland would come down for recreation. This was a hunting area at one time. Then the abbey guest house gradually became more of a palace, Religion changed in the 16th century, the abbey lost its importance, the palace became the building. And these twin towers that you see ahead of you, with a sort of French influence to them, and there were connections between the Scottish and French royal families, these were the home, eventually, of Scotland's most tragic and famous Queen Mary, Queen of Scots. And her apartments are still up there on the top floors. You can go into the room where, heavily pregnant, she witnessed her favourite servant, David Rizzio, being dragged from her company by her husband and some nobles, her very jealous husband. They entered through a secret passage and the servant was murdered. Shortly afterwards, Mary's husband died in suspicious circumstances. So we have all that related to the palace. The rest of the palace was built probably in the mid 17th century at the time of Charles II and was designed to balance the original two towers that we see ahead of us. So if you visit you will see a mixture of styles and you will also see royal apartments where today Her Majesty the Queen visits several times a year and welcomes people into the palace and occasionally, as with Sean Connery, gives them a knighthood. 
Well, also part of the palace is the Queen's Gallery. It's a separate art gallery but can be visited at the same time as the palace. And regularly exhibitions are held of artefacts from the Queen's own private art collection. And right opposite the Queen's Gallery is a building that you couldn't get any more different to that of the Palace of Holyrood House. That is the Scottish Parliament. And another attraction that people might want to visit, especially if you have children, is Dynamic Earth. The Scottish Parliament as an institution has been in existence for 10 years now, but the building that we see from here was opened in October 2004 and it is the home of the members of the Scottish Parliament who deal with most of the affairs that have been devolved to Scotland. The, the, the building itself here, I mean, when we started looking at it, it's bizarre. Part of it looks as if these sticks that are going up the side, it looks like bamboo or something. Clearly not, though, is it? No, actually, they're not bamboo, they're oak, but they do look like bamboo. The architect was Enric Morales, who came from Barcelona, and quite a lot of the shapes in the building were inspired by the other architect, Antonio Gaudi, and he was well known for wrought iron work, which I have been informed is what the shapes on the front replicate. The Scottish Parliament as a building is easily accessible on all days except Sundays. You can just walk in and access the public sections of the building and tours are on offer at certain times. Round the corner is our dynamic earth, which is mainly a visitor attraction for children. It explains the landscape of Edinburgh and of Scotland. It starts with volcanic times 350 million years ago, moves on to the melting of the ice after the Ice Age 12,000 years ago, and it shows you dinosaurs blocks of ice, all sorts of scientific things in a child-friendly manner and it's a great day out with the kids. We're standing now in White Horse Close and I have to say, if you hadn't have been with me, I would have completely have missed this. Well, White Horse Close is just one of the little hidden gems up the Royal Mile. Um, this one is a series of tiny little houses, very, very Scottish, going back to 1623, all beautifully restored as private houses. But it's a little oasis here by the busy Royal Mile. Now, if you're going up the Royal Mile, what you should do is really go in and out of the little alleyways because they're so they're so hidden. This one is just through to the right of some arches as you start up the Royal Mile. And if you didn't just come over and look, you as you've said, you would completely miss it. Now, I have to admit, I'm always one uh, for taking the opportunity to stop and have a cup of tea or coffee uh, along the way. Sadly, it's a bit early in the day for us to stop already, but we're passing Clorinda's Tea Room, which just looks lovely. Nice oldie world in inside. You've got some nice floral tablecloths, and it looks really pretty, but there's a story behind this particular tea room. Yes, Clorinda was actually Agnes McElhose, who was a lady that the poet Robert Burns fell deeply in love with, and she with him. And they continued a platonic relationship during which he wrote her some of his most romantic poetry. He called her Clorinda to protect her identity and that is how she is probably more commonly known even this day. 
Obviously, this is just one of many different tea rooms and cafes that we have here in Edinburgh. But in terms of eating out, going out for dinner or for lunch, I would imagine we're spoilt for choice. Yeah, it really are, both in the old and new towns. We have a huge variety of restaurants representing the different cultures that are in our country and indeed in our city. But for Scottish food, there are the pubs themselves, most of whom will serve you traditional haggis and steak pies, that sort of thing. And restaurants like Stack Polly, of which there is one not far from where we are now in the Royal Mile. Then as we go more upmarket, there are places like the Witchery up by Edinburgh Castle. And if you want to eat there, you have to book far in advance. The Port of Leith, away to the north of the city, has got several Michelin star restaurants if you want to go there. And each of them includes in their menus Scottish produce and of course up to Michelin standard and many many fish restaurants we're right by the river Forth and we have fresh fish in abundance further up the Royal Mile we've come into the Canongate Kirk. Now this is where the Queen worships when she's here in Edinburgh. Uh, We come through the front doors, it's a very very pretty little church, very distinctive because painted in a very light blue and also the cushions on the pews are red. Well this church was uh, established back in 1688 by James VII of Scotland. By this time uh, he was also King of England, James II, just to confuse you. But he was actually Roman Catholic and so he needed to build a church for the Protestant worshippers of this part of the city and that's how this church came to be built. Very, very simple church and very reminiscent of Dutch architecture if you look at it from the outside. The gable end is almost like some of the buildings you'll see in Amsterdam. So there's a definite Dutch influence in this building. But the interior, as you've said, is blue. I have no idea why it's blue, but we have in the front, uh, facing the front on the right hand side the Queen's own pew and you can tell because there's a little crown there so you can recognise it and over across the aisle is where the Governor of Edinburgh Castle would sit and he is the Queen's official representative in Edinburgh. Now, as well as these many things to stop and see as we're going up the Royal Mile, I do notice an awful lot of souvenir shops and also shops that sell fudge. Yes, souvenir shops of all different types. Things that are not expensive and things at the top end of the market that are expensive. There's a whole range there for you to browse round. But where we're standing, we're browsing at something rather tasty, and that is fudge. Scotland is known for its sweet tooth. We love our fudge full of sugar, full of butter and this particular fudge shop has got it in all different flavours and I noticed they've also got some with whiskey in our national drink. So something of a flavour there for everyone too. Itself is made out of a number of streets which, as a composite entity, are known as the Royal Mile. And we are now standing in the part where the cobbles begin, the high street. We have left the cannon gate behind us. And this was really where the old city of Edinburgh began. 
This was where the Netherbow port, the old city gate, was located. And if you look closely at the cobbled surface, you can see the outline of that port in the street itself. On the left-hand side, as we come up, there's the World's End pub. The World's End, indeed, where the world ended for the people of Edinburgh. This is their city boundary. And on the opposite corner to the right, a pub called the Tass, named after the old drinking cups of Scotland, the Tassies. And in the Tass, you can hear traditional Scottish music on some nights, particularly on a Thursday and a Friday. There are lots of different types of pubs, uh, just to pop in for what we would say a pint of heavy. Yeah, a pint of heavy is a very Scottish term, a heavy beer, heavy in density. And heavy, if you drink too much of it, you'll fall over. But enough of that. Uh, pubs, yes, we have a huge variety, both in the old and in the new towns. And in the old town, the Royal Mile has got a great variety of different pubs. And an area called the Grass Market below the castle is a great place for a variety of different pubs. Some serving food, some sticking mainly to beer. And, of course, wine, because wine actually was a drink of Edinburgh around about the 17th and 18th century. So we still have good varieties of wines as well as our many beers. And one thing you'll notice as we've been standing here talking on the corner of High Street and St Mary Street, the Royal Mile, uh, quite a lot of traffic going up and down here. It's also a good place where you can pick up one of the many city tour buses as well on the route. As we've come up the Royal Mile, you'll have noticed kilts of all sorts of descriptions in the shop windows. The kilt, of course, known as Scotland's national dress. Originally just a simple piece of cloth wrapped round the waist with a belt, the rest pulled over the shoulder, and then at night taken apart and wrapped around the person as a blanket. A very practical garment, but now a much more formal garment, usually in Scotland worn on high days and holidays and weddings. On Saturdays, wedding day, you will see kilts everywhere in the city. So if you're interested in a quality kilt, there's plenty of opportunity to see them in this part of Edinburgh. Round about this area of the city chambers is where, in the early 19th century, buildings were put on top of old buildings and old streets disappeared under the city. If you're interested in that, and some of them are supposed to be haunted, then take a tour down Mary King's Close. Or across the road beside St Giles Cathedral, there are walking tours. Notice boards will point out times and what you're going to see. St Giles Cathedral itself, where we are, is the high church, the high kirk of Edinburgh. Once a Roman Catholic church and then in the 16th century became a Protestant building. Nowadays it's the equivalent, I would say, to London's Westminster Abbey, but it has some of its old features still there. And the chapel of the Order of the Thistle, the ancient bodyguard of the Queen, like the English Order of the Garter. And the Thistle Chapel is where once a year the Queen meets with these fairly elderly gentlemen and one or two women and a ceremony is held. The little chapel is very beautiful and you can visit that also inside St Giles.
Well, I have to say I'm now in my element because two of my favourite stories are the tale of Greyfriars Bobby and also I love the Harry Potter books. This for me then, well, I'm in seventh heaven really. And all you've had to do is turn left at the junction on the Royal Mile where you'll see a pub called Deacon Brodie's. Turn left along George IV Bridge, 200 yards, and that's where you'll find the Elephant House Cafe. And that's where J.K. Rowling, as a single parent and very low on funds, spent lots of time and did part of the writing of Harry Potter books. Further on, there's a tiny little statue of a dog. And as you've said, Greyfriars Bobby is his name. And way back in 1858, that little dog's master died. And for the next 14 years, the little dog sat by his gravestone in Greyfriars Churchyard, which is just beyond the statue and up to the right. And in the graveyard, you'll easily find the dog's grave that's right ahead of you. But you have to look at a map to find his master's grave. Well, we did say at the beginning that we were covering the whole of the Royal Mile. We started at the bottom at the Palace of Holyrood House and here we are right at the top now. We've walked up the Esplanade and we're standing right outside Edinburgh Castle. Now, before we go in, just a few points for you to notice on your way up here. You'll pass by the Scottish Whisky Experience. Now, that's something we haven't spoken about just yet, but it is, of course, Scotland's national drink. Yes, whisky has been on the go for centuries and the whisky experience is one way of finding out about the making of whisky. We have just under 100 malt whisky distilleries in Scotland and we export an awful lot of it very popular drink and growing in popularity. And as we're here today, uh, quite a lot of activity going on because they're erecting all the seats, getting ready for one of the main events in Edinburgh's calendar, and that is, of course, the Edinburgh Festival. Yes, and what will be happening in the city of Edinburgh will be mostly in the month of August. That's when the International Festival is held, and at the same time, the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, which is a sort of used-to-be unofficial part of the festival but now is more formal too but is the part that gives the city its carnival atmosphere throughout August. What's happening on the Esplanade is the erection of the seats for the tattoo. 9,000 seats, a military concert held here throughout August and almost sold out already and Pipe bands from all over Scotland and the world and other military performances will be on display in the evening at the castle. A very, very spectacular event. And of course, apart from the festival, Edinburgh itself, all year round, plenty uh, to go if you want to go to the theatre, perhaps go to a gallery, lots of art and culture and entertainment. Yes, I don't think we've mentioned our art galleries yet. And in fact, our art galleries and museums are... Unless there's a special exhibition, they're all free. We have small museums in the Royal Mile. We have the new Museum of Scotland near to the Harry Potter Cafe where you can explore Scotland's history and all completely free. Just a wonderful city for museums and galleries. And of course, we've been talking about the summer. I mean, Edinburgh's a city for all year round. 
In the winter, you can catch the pantomime at the King's Theatre. There are performances all year round at the Royal Lyceum Theatre. There are musical concerts in the Usher Hall, which has undergone a huge refurbishment, and many other smaller theatre and concert venues. Now, before we go into Edinburgh Castle, perhaps you can tell us its story. Well, yes, the story of Scottish history is all in this castle. Two statues either side of the gateway. King Robert the Bruce, who got our independence in 1314, and on the right, William Wallace, better known to most of you as Braveheart. They are all part of Scotland's history, as is the castle, the most important building in Scotland. To control Scotland, you control this castle. It's like a walled village with palace, great, hall, chapel, prisons and nowadays military exhibitions. This is not a quick visit because there's so much to see. The royal crown jewels of Scotland are on show and I would say that you would allow at least two hours if you're coming here on your own. And there are things for kids, things for adults and cafes to relax in as well. Well, here we are in Edinburgh Castle. We've come through the main entrance, bought our tickets and come right through the Port Cullis Gate. Now, you'll notice as you come through here that the castle is on two different levels. We're on the lower level at the moment. Yes, this part here is really um, where once animals would have grazed hundreds of years ago, but now it's more a soldier's area. We're standing beside the Argyle battery of 18th century guns. Behind us is the governor's house, the governor, the Queen's representative in Edinburgh. There is a military presence in this castle and has been since the 18th century. And you will see soldiers when you come in to visit soldiers museums are here also the top area of the castle crown square is where you can access the exhibition on the honors of scotland and visit several other buildings and exhibitions and also includes the little chapel to saint margaret and the large canon of mons meg dating back to the 15th century Now, there are two reasons why I come to Edinburgh Castle. The very first one is exactly what we're looking at now, these wonderful views right across the city and onto the water as well. Well, if we look over the ramparts, we can see the beautiful Princess Street Gardens looking lovely in the sunshine on on where was once a muddy, rather horrible loch, loch being a lake all beautifully landscaped now and resting in the sunshine you can then move on to enjoy the efforts of shopping on Princess Street in the various department stores um, from Marks and Spencers to Debenhams uh, some of the well known names but also Jenner's department store away along opposite the Walter Scott monument, I'm saying that as a landmark, the memorial to Walter Scott but opposite Jenner's, which is a very, very Scottish department store and a must on your itinerary. You mentioned there, of course, looking down onto Princess Street and all its splendour and all the main high street shops, but Edinburgh itself, apart from Princess Street, there are lots of lots of different types of shops, nice little quirky ones that you find in the back streets. Well, one of our most famous back streets is Rose Street, which you cannot see, but it's parallel and behind Princess Street. A little pedestrian street full of, as you said, quirky little shops and also quirky little pubs 
Cheapside. Sorry I'm mentioning pubs again, but that's what Rose Street's got in abundance as well as the shops. And George Street, parallel to Princess Street also, some rather nice genteel type shops there, some more individual high quality shops in George Street and some very good book shops as well. And the other thing I said, I said I had two favourite things. The last thing here at Edinburgh Castle is the very famous one o'clock gun. We intentionally planned our trip this morning to make sure that we wound up at the castle in time for one o'clock. Yes, the one o'clock gun has been our attraction here for many, many years. And its, its original purpose was to tell the ships coming up river when it was one o'clock. But because of when sound travels, it takes longer. Um, By the time the one o'clock gun was heard by the ships, it was actually after one o'clock. So at the same time, on one of the little hills in the city, there was a time ball also visible on top of a monument, and it dropped exactly at one o'clock. So these were the signals to the ships. And why did they need to know the time? Because times were different throughout the world. And in the castle, there's actually a little exhibition below where the gun is located, which will all explain that to you. And the gun is right across beside the cafe, sort of jutting out on a promontory on the castle. Well, we're only a couple of minutes away from one o'clock and it's very, very busy here around the one o'clock gun. Uh, One of the things you should do is make sure you get here fairly early, maybe even a good half hour before one o'clock because it is a real big thing here in Edinburgh Castle. All the tourists gather around uh, waiting to hear the gun go off. Uh, So just a couple of minutes more for us to wait and then one of my favourite things about Edinburgh will happen. Well, there looks as if there's some kind of activity. Yes, the district gunner has come out. He's from the Royal Artillery, and it's always the district gunner who will fire the one o'clock gun. He's very, very smart, dressed in full uniform. Uh, It's navy blue. He's got some white gloves on. He's also got a flat military-style cap and a white belt around his middle. Uh, So he's walking towards the gun. Very, very smart he is. And he's just stopped, had a bit of a look around. And now he's looking at his stopwatch, obviously just synchronising everything, making sure he goes at the right time. And yes, he's obviously ready because he's winding up the gun. Uh, and that's Obviously, this is the way the gun is actually fired. Sounds a bit strange, but he winds it up, points it up to the air, uh, towards the water, which is the Firth of Forth. And it's going to go off any second... There we have it. The one o'clock gun has been fired for the umpteenth time in history. It's such a distinctive noise. And I tell you what, no matter how many times I hear it and see it go off, it really does give me goosebumps. It's just one of these things. It's just such a historical thing. And whilst you're wandering around Edinburgh city centre, you will hear it. Even though it might not be as loud as whilst you're up at the castle, you will hear it no matter where you are at Edinburgh city centre. The gun will go off. Uh, You can look at your watch if you like, uh, but if you do, you'll be guaranteed that it'll say one o'clock. So, Morag, that's one of my favourite things 
about Edinburgh City Centre. It's now your turn to tell us uh, what yours is, or also perhaps uh, what you think that a visitor coming to Edinburgh shouldn't miss. Well, the favourite thing I have about Edinburgh is how you have these hills right in the city centre. So in the middle of a city, you can escape to the countryside. Carlton Hill is visible from the castle, and up there there are various monuments and 360-degree views of the city. And where we started our walk this morning, down at Holyrood Park, there's the walk up to the top of Arthur's Seat, or along below Salisbury Crags there is a beautiful path and again panoramic views and that's the favourite thing that I like to do. Well, I'm now down at Ocean Terminal at the Port of Leith. It's very easy to get to from the city centre. All I did was come out of the castle, walk down towards Princess Street and stop off at Waverley Bridge. That's just opposite the railway station. And you'll find lots of different tour buses waiting for you there. They're all lined up. One thing to note in Edinburgh, you have different types of bus tours uh, offering very, very different routes. So have a look, study where you want to go and then make your decision. The one that I've taken to get down here is the Majestic Tour because that's the only tour bus that will actually bring you down to the Ocean Terminal although if you want to try and find out about the local buses there will be plenty of local buses bring you down here too now Ocean Terminal itself well it's pretty much a retail development um, there's some residential flats overlooking the harbour area we also have here an express by Holiday Inn if you want to stay down by the water's edge the terminal itself is full of different shops um, lots of cafes and also eateries as well and of course as you would expect being by the waterside they all look out through the glass onto the water you can of course sit outside so it's a very pleasant place just to come and do a little bit of shopping uh, maybe have a coffee perhaps later on in the evening sit with a glass of wine and watch the sunset but my main reason for coming down to Ocean Terminal is to visit the Royal Yacht Britannia she did of course play host to some of the world's most famous people but above all was home for the British Royal Family today you can stroll around the decks you can follow in the footsteps of the Royal Family and their guests and discover the floating palace all for yourself. Well, I'm now standing on board the Royal Yacht Britannia and I'm with Lucy Caldwell, who's the marketing manager here. Lucy, she's absolutely magnificent. Well, she was the Queen's floating royal residence for over 40 years and carried the royal family over 1 million miles all around the world on 968 visits. So she's a, a magnificent piece of British engineering to have achieved all of that. And now visitors can step on board and see five of the wonderful decks for themselves. We get about 250,000 visitors a year and Britannia is owned by a charitable trust now so everything is all about preserving Britannia for future generations to enjoy. And this is the perfect way for a visitor to really experience what life would have been like on board for the royals. Absolutely. It's a fascinating insight into the life of the royal family. You get to look around the state apartments where the functions were and peek into the Queen's bedroom. You can see the Rolls Royce in the onboard garage and even contrast that with the cruise quarters where the 240 yachtsmen lived and worked. Well, I have to say the one that really interests me and I'm sure quite a lot of other people as well, which we're going to go and take a look at, is actually the Queen's bedroom. So here we are then standing in front of the Queen's bedroom and I have to say I'm a little bit surprised because it's a single bed and also the best way to describe this to you in terms of decor it's kind of like an old-fashioned Laura Ashley. 
Well, the decor very much um, reflects the Queen's taste. She had a lot of input into the interior design when Britannia was built. You can see the beautiful embroidery headboard, which was specially commissioned for this room to reflect the British hedgerows when the Queen was away from the country. Through the interconnecting door there, we've got Prince Philip's room, which is much more masculine in tone with the sort of burgundy, darker colours. I would imagine that visitors here stand and look at these two rooms for some considerable time. For some reason, it's absolutely fascinating. And right across and opposite those two rooms is the honeymoon suite, of course, most famously used for Charles and Diana for their honeymoon. Yeah, I mean, this is what people find so fascinating about Britannia is that it's the, the only place really of any of the sort of royal residences where you can have a look into the rooms where the, the Queen has actually slept. So this is what people find so interesting when they come and visit. Yeah, I have to say, I grew up on the west coast of Scotland and I do remember quite often the Royal York coming up, the Firth of Clyde, everybody coming out and waving and all the bunting and that kind of thing. It was a real sight and I I never thought that I would be standing here looking through into uh, the honeymoon suite, into the Queen's bedroom and all these wonderful rooms uh, that we can visit. Do you have a particular favourite, Lucy? I'd probably say um, the state dining room. I think you always just get an incredible sense of the history when you walk into that room of the, the world leaders that have actually actually dined on board like Nelson Mandela and Rajiv Gandhi and these sort of people when you walk into that room and the wonderful items that were gifted to the Queen from around the world. And finally, um, thank you very much for showing me around, but let me ask you as somebody who works in Edinburgh and on the Royal Yacht, what's your favourite thing about the city? I think if you are coming to visit this city, um, and the place I love to go the most is actually right to the top of Arthur's Seat. You get an absolutely spectacular view of all of the city of Edinburgh from there, so I'd really suggest that would be a great place to go to. Edinburgh is a city that is steeped in history. That historic feel engulfs you from the moment you arrive and doesn't leave until you do. It's no wonder Edinburgh spawns so many great writers. The place is an inspiration, and it's also a great place to experience a good old Scots Hogmanay. Bring in the new year the way it should be done, and what better way than joining the throngs of party goers on Princess Street in the shadow of Edinburgh Castle. If you have the time, then Loch Lomond, Stirling and the Trossachs are all within easy reach for a day trip, as is Scotland's biggest city, Glasgow. These two cities may only be less than 50 miles apart, but they couldn't be more different, and there is great rivalry between east and west. If you fancy some time by the seaside, then head to North Berwick. Perhaps golf is your thing. Well, St Andrews in Fife is easily reached. Or why not visit the little town of Roslyn to see the Roslyn Chapel, which was featured in Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. Edinburgh certainly the perfect base from which to explore Scotland. 2009 is the year of the first ever homecoming Scotland. Whether you're a Scot of Scottish descent or simply love the country, you're invited to join the celebrations. Homecoming Scotland is a celebration of Robert Burns, Scotland's culture, heritage and the many great contributions Scotland has given the world. For more information, log on to visitscotland.com where you also find everything you need to plan your trip to Edinburgh and indeed to the rest of Scotland. And let me remind you that to receive up to 35% off your next weekend stay at the Holiday Inn Edinburgh or any of our other Holiday Inn properties, please visit our website, ihg.com forward slash podcast. That's ihg.com forward slash podcast. I'm Susan Spence. Thank you for downloading the Holiday Inn Edinburgh City Guide podcast and enjoy your stay.